Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Because Money podcast. I believe this is episode 16. Unfortunately, Sandy's house has kind of blown up. Her kitchen is being renovated. There's tarps everywhere, children, no power. So she couldn't string a cord and join us tonight. But we are joined by Kyle Prevost from Young and Thrifty. Kyle, it's great to have you here. We're going to be talking about curriculum and whose job it is to teach financial literacy and we're each going to take an opposing point of view it's your job as our viewer to figure out which one of us is telling the truth and which is lying if you want to join us on the twitter hit us at the hashtag because money and we will make that rock and roll happen so rob on to you and then let's get the discussion going with kyle thanks jackson uh yeah well we're really excited to have uh, kyle prevo here um, he's passionate about the topic of financial literacy, and uh, he is a teacher, so he's got a really good viewpoint um, that we want to uh, explore. And so I know it's not Financial Literacy Month, but uh, we want to explore this topic. We ha- we wanted to for you know a number of weeks now, and you know if you whoever you talk to about financial literacy, they end up saying you know well they ought to teach that in school, you know because you know, most of us don't, we can't either, we make terrible decisions with our finances, um, we're in heaps of debt right now, uh, we're losing our shirts investing, we don't know what we should be investing in, we don't know that RSPs, you know, people think RSPs are a scam, uh, not knowing that you can invest in, you know, that's just a that's just a vehicle that you can invest in. So we want to talk about financial literacy and where do we teach it, How how does it apply um, and I'll maybe throw it over to Kyle here to start, you know, whose job is it to teach financial literacy and how important is it? Well, plainly, Rob, it's pretty important. Uh, obviously, you know, every new uh, stat that comes out about how much more in debt Canadians are year after year proves uh, just how important it is. No matter what um, sort of academic route you look at, uh, it's it's pretty generally agreed upon that our financial climate today is more complicated than ever before so it stands to reason that uh, you know I, I like the term literacy because it generally gives this inference of um, sort of the fact that we are then illiterate which means we don't we don't understand what we don't understand which is what many Canadians are in so where should we teach it I think t- we need to teach it in high school by default uh, it's not a perfect delivery mechanism but are we going to have, again, the average Canadian adult is whatever stat you want to use, 160% in debt or so, uh, and, and they don't realize that RSPs aren't an actual investment product that you, um, that you buy. So do we want parents teaching their children, in which case what you're doing is actually opening up a huge gap between, uh, you know, based on the socioeconomic status of someone's parents, um, and you know where else? I guess you could say free blogs are are great. Uh, you and I both have a vested interest in that, but uh, really, that's a pretty small small dent. So I would argue that schools are imperfect place, but they're the best place to teach it. And the problem seems to be some type of uniformity, right? I mean, each province has their own you know curriculum and and uh, I guess agenda and how they want how they want to roll that out. The curriculum is packed as you know we need it's packed. So how can we 
you know, how can we add another core subject? And I remember, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, we had uh, something called career and life management. And they taught a little bit of personal finance in there, but it was kind of known as the slacker class. You go there, it was, yeah. easy, it was an easy A, and we didn't really pay much attention to what was going on. We learned how to write a resume and, you know, maybe learn sort about a bit of personal finance and uh, left at that. I couldn't tell you what we, what we learned, but I probably got 95% in it and, uh, and, and moved on. So uh, maybe I'll throw it over to Jackson here too for, uh, to get your viewpoint about where should we teach financial literacy. Does it belong in the classroom? See, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say it, it doesn't. Um, students are stupid. Kids are stupid. I re and, and it's exactly where I went, you guys. I went to the same spot where, okay, when I was in high school, what did I look at? And when I was in high school, you know, the potato puts it well on Twitter. He says the challenges he sees is the re relevance that kids don't have money. Well, maybe that was just me. I guess I always had money because I bought things, but I didn't know where my money came from. I had parents who gave me money. I didn't really have to earn my allowance. So you kind of end up in this spot where I think the problem with the school, you're right, the school system is an imperfect delivery system, and it would be best for us to say it's the parents' responsibility, but I think the parents out there are just as lousy with their money, all of them, and they're just passing bad habits on to their kids. So should it be a... A system in the school? Maybe, but is it really going to be worth all of the money at putting together the think tanks and the groups and the government initiatives to figure out if it's going to be a curriculum and then add it? And who's going to be, who would do the textbooks and all those kind of things and those questions? Now, do I really toe that line? I don't know, but it to me, it's, if I look back, and I was a I graduated with honors. I had no problems. I was in the, the IB program for a while. I was a really stupid smart kid. And that's the problem with, I think, a lot of kids. We just don't take things seriously. And you go through, when I graduated high school, I was 18. I bought my first car on a credit card. And then I just, I actually thought, you know, if I just get another credit card, I can make my minimum payments on this one. And I started making my minimum payments on back and forth on the cards. Why? Nobody ever told me it was a bad idea yeah, until I mean, you realize it, and it's like, crap. But kids these days are different than when I was in school, but it's certainly challenging, and is there another way we could do it? And that's what I would say. Yeah, and I mean, I think most people, you know, you start to take your finances a little more seriously, you know, maybe once you get married or have a kid or whatever, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I, I started to do that when, you know, I was probably 20, 26, 27 years old. By the time I had, a, you know, a decent-paying job and we thought about getting married and having a kid and, and buying a house, you know, that's when I was taking things seriously and starting to look for the resources online and that, and that type of thing. And they're out there, but you know, people aren't just going to look for them if they're not interested at the time. Right. So Kyle, what do you think? Are, are students at a place where they're receptive to learning in high school about financial literacy? So here's if that's a popular criticism, Jackson. And so if we follow that to its logical conclusion that high school kids are dumb, why should we teach them about financial literacy, uh, which I'm not necessarily disagreeing with, then the logical conclusion is that they should never come to school. That why should they learn about anything? If we can if we can teach about quadratic equations, the War of 1812, uh, sentence structure, nouns, verbs, etc. And what a mitochondria does, if we can do those, and you're telling me those things, those subject areas have more relevance to an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old than a car payment, I just haven't heard anyone that can make that argument yet. Uh, and by saying that we need to let it go to parents, the, the problem is that uh, 
the the wealthy people's children will be fine because they understand how the game of money is played. And uh, and the funny thing is, they're also going to be going to post secondary education by and large. What you're doing is just more severely crippling. It'd be like, well, we should just teach about technology at home. Well, so then the only people that have technology are going to learn about technology, and you're really locking people into their to their uh, sort of socioeconomic status, and that's exactly what public high schools are supposed to prevent. Well, it's like the sex ed thing, right? So I don't know when sex ed got into the you know into the classroom, but it was somebody obviously decided that was a good thing because sex and money. They're, they're one of those taboo subjects that you just don't talk about at home. You don't talk about what mom and dad make. Um, you certainly don't talk about what they're doing in the bedroom. So That's uh, got to be the first time <laughs> that sex ed and financial literacy have ever come up in the same sentence. So thank you, sir. So, <laughs> you know, so someone has got to obviously draw that parallel and say, okay, it, it is important, and so the classroom is that delivery system. Um, but I think you, you brought it up, Jackson, and I think Potato did on the Twitter is um, who who writes the curriculum? So if the schools are the perfect delivery system for it, and we can argue the merits of you know teaching it to high school kids or not, but that is about the age when you should learn it. Then who who is who has the vested interest in writing it and teaching it? And from what I've seen, it's uh, it seems to be the banks that that uh, put their hands up and say, hey, we've got the money, and uh, maybe the expertise to write these textbooks for you. So can I here, jump here in, Rob? Sure. So I, I agree with what you're inferring here, and that's that if you get banks and large insurance companies to make the resources, you're going to end up with a ton of problems. Uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's as critical of financial advisors as I am. Uh, much to my own detriment, I get pulled into these extremely long internet comment wars sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm really against that. I think any any financial literacy course that's going to have any uh, sort of being able to stand on its own is going to have to be able to do it without putting RBC or Investors Group logo on their resources. And by far the best answer I've heard is the Securities Commissions. The Ontario Securities Commission and the BC Securities Commission are really leading the field in terms of putting stuff out there that is uh, it's good. They've done it with the help of select teachers. Um, I haven't crossed that out in my career path, if possible. Uh, they they put out lesson plans, they put out professional development plans, and they seem to be the ones that have the expertise without the vested interest. So I would argue that any successful financial literacy program would have to have resources from your securities commissions, and for that reason, I'm actually hopeful that this whole National Securities Commission gets off the ground, because uh, it would sure be nice in Manitoba if we had the backing of the big boys like BC and Ontario uh, to help us develop our resources. And Ontario Securities Commission, are they the ones that are behind the Get Smarter About Money yep, website the, in those the, uh, Yeah, they are. They're, they're Get Smarter About Money, and it's the investor uh, the Investors Fund, I believe. I wrote right. it down here somewhere. Investor but, Education Investors Fund. Education Fund. Yeah. IEF. And that's them, and they've come up with uh, like some, some great uh, different calculators and stuff, um, things that I haven't seen anywhere else. Their site is super easy to use. It's got, you know, academic credentials behind it. It's got investment experience behind it. And I, I think if we could all sort of pool those resources, we could put together a, never mind a textbook, we could just do an online textbook if we wanted. Right. Yeah, because it's about getting, I mean, that's a great resource. And, you know, something even like a third-party, you know, or a non-bank affiliated, I guess, site like the FCAC, you know, with great information on it. But how do you get 
how do you get people to it? So I like that online delivery system. Is that uh, what do you think of, about learning it online? Is that something that uh, you know you know we're kind of moving towards now? Yeah, I mean it's definitely something that the schools are are trying to include. Anytime you can bring in a technology component, you're obviously helping prepare kids for uh, for the future they're going to be tackling in many cases. Um, you know, I'm fine either way. At this point, I just want financial literacy. So whatever sort of egos that have to get stroked or, uh, you know, textbook companies that have to be bought off with either a paper or a, a digital copy, I'm all for it. A mix of the two, possibly. Um, I, I think that you'd have an easier time getting it down the pipeline through a technological um, sort of experience just because your, your pen to paper time to write a textbook takes so long. So that would be my response. So how do you get this into the curriculum and, and how do you make it so if we've decided this is important and everybody should you know, have a basic understanding or even more than basic so they can make informed decisions so we're not getting ripped off all the time so we're not up to our eyeballs in debt we're making you know, confident decisions with our money, uh, how do you get that into the curriculum and not in some you know, four-week four unit in math class or in you know, career and life management? That's a great question, Robin. And I actually differ from a lot of the powers that be or the gurus on this, uh, including the Investor Education Fund. They're a big fan of, in Ontario right now, they'll tell you, well, we're, we've already done this. We're layering financial literacy from grades 4 to 12, and they're getting it every year. They're getting it uh, at their age-appropriate levels. End of story. Uh, that's completely flawed for many, many reasons. Um, First of all, we're just layering way too many things throughout our curriculums. I made a quick list while I was waiting here. And here's the things we're currently uh, layering throughout the stuff that's already packed. Uh, sustainability, numeracy, literacy, respect, citizenship, technology, self-esteem building, Aboriginal perspectives. And uh, that's just the first few I could come up with. So layering does not work. And here's the other reason it doesn't work. Uh, very few teachers have the expertise to teach financial literacy properly. So it might sound all well and good to say, oh, well, there's all kinds of uh, financial tie-ins when you're studying Shakespeare. Well, there are, but the English teacher, far more often than not, is not going to have anywhere near the expertise. So I think our best bet to at least get this beginning implemented is to pick a very few teachers that have some degree of proficiency in the topic and then really focus professional development towards them. Uh, and then have one course that is mandatory to take. And there is room in grade 11, 12. Every single province has elective slots. There is room to include this course. Um, it, it would be an uphill climb in some provinces to get uh, the guys that make the big money to approve it. But that, to me, is the only way we will get the expertise in the classroom with every student. Because the experience that you shared, where you were teaching in a business class, uh, or getting taught in a business class, rather, um, with and it was known as a dummy course. That is the uh, sort of attitude towards business across Canada, and we have no teachers or very few teachers that have any economics background at all because that's not an accepted background to get into most faculties of education. So we're way better off narrow focus, make it mandatory. So I'm, 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 I'm jumping in, Rob. Rob, I'm jumping in. 
I have to throw this out there. Kyle, in response to my first question, I think you nailed it. I'm arbitrarily awarding you two points. <laughs> I now side with you. No, I, and I'm serious. I, I really think that, you know, as we talk through this, um, I like your approach that it's layering is crap. I tend to agree with you on that. And I like the idea that it would be presented in a course. Uh, we got some action on the Twitter. Uh, Bailey says online learning accommodates homeschoolers as well. And that's kind of, that comment there kind of got me thinking that, yeah, you know, it is, it, to just kind of put it, teach it from different times in and here and there without it actually being a core course, it doesn't necessarily make as much sense as where you put it in one area and it's actually a curriculum. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, uh, I'm rocking your train right now. All right. So. Uh, and Noel is suggesting a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Uh, he says it has to be marketed right, and maybe he's suggesting that a college runs a seminar called Improve Your Sex Life by talking about finances. Uh, I think, Rob, you probably came up with that. So if somebody does it, make sure you get royalties. I'll take the credit for that. So, <laughs> so we talked about the delivery system of the school. We talked about um, you know who writes it and, and what the you know what kind of vested interest the banks and big insurance companies have in it. And and Kyle, you you touched on this too, and I want to explore this a little more as uh, the teachers themselves, right? So um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's not. Uh, are we putting teachers who maybe are out of their element a bit? And I don't want to go into a war against all teachers and, and generalize here, but you're talking to a, a profession who's got, you know, one of the last remaining defined benefit pension plans. Um, don't real. I mean, it's pretty rock solid that you don't really, you don't really need to, you know, save. You don't need to put money in your RSP or whatever. So your disposable income is your disposable income, and so. You know, are teachers bad with money, and should they be teaching our kids about money? So I'm going to say not all teachers are bad about money, but here's a few things that we have going against us in general. Uh, you, you, took, you talked about our pensions. A teacher can spend every dollar they make uh, as long as they don't go into debt before they retire. If they work until, you know, 60 or 65, they're set. Uh, they don't need to worry about insurance uh, or, like, uh, as Pre Banerjee would say, um, sort of, uh, disaster proofing your life is the phrase he uses all the time. We don't have to worry about that because our union does it for us. We just sign off. Uh, we have one of the most secure jobs in the world, for better or for worse. Uh, and correct and, me if I'm wrong, but don't most teachers marry teachers? <laughs> well, I'm in the process of doing that, actually. That's a fact. Not, That's a fact. fact. I think it's a fact. I think it's a requirement, actually. Well, why would you not? Yeah. If you're going to yeah. buy a cabin for two months in the summer, you might as well enjoy it with your significant other. Yeah. So you've got, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got, so now you've got two pensions and, right. you know, an aptitude to spend spend the rest, right? Here, here's here's a couple other things that most people don't know about teachers. Uh, one, there's getting to be fewer and fewer of us, especially in uh, the early and middle years that actually understand math. If you give early and middle years teachers, especially the ones that don't teach math, a math quiz, you'll be amazed, absolutely amazed, at least in Manitoba for sure, and I would argue probably across the country. So... You don't need a lot of math to be good at financial literacy, but there's many teachers, I would argue, that couldn't pass a grade 9 math test tomorrow. Uh, the other thing is we're all experts. We spend all day at the front of a classroom being told we're the smartest person there. So if it ever comes up of, like, financial literacy and investing, you'll see teachers do, like, a lot of shuffling and, like, throw out, like, buy low, sell high, and, like, just these sort of one-line things because they don't want to admit that they're actually pretty ignorant in the area. And I'm ignorant in a lot of things. Like, I have no idea how, you know, a light bulb, the science behind the light bulb or anything like that. But 
if, if, if you can't admit it, that you have a deficit, how are you going to professionally develop enough to teach the course? So I like what you're saying with the, you know, identifying the people who at least have the aptitude and the skill for it and, and the desire actually to, you know, want to want to teach this and roll this out. Yeah, well, like here's, here's an example, right? We have this course in Manitoba called Seminar in Business. It's a grade 12 course. It's pretty open-ended. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, optional course. I'm sure most schools don't offer it, but I found this, dusted off the curriculum stuff and found it. And I made about two-thirds of the curriculum personal finance. I had a group of 10, 11, 12 students. I teach in a small school. So 10, 11, 12 students, I, I flipped sort of conventional wisdom on its head. Most financial literacy stuff says, well, you can't talk about investing until you talk about budgeting. You can't talk about budgeting until kids understand basic formulas. And I said, no, to hell with that. Um, we're going to learn how to become a millionaire on day one. That if you invest this much money, you'll, you will be a millionaire. It's mathematically, I mean, I didn't explain to them that inflation-wise, they wouldn't really be a true millionaire, but you'd be a millionaire, um, you know, with, with some pretty conservative numbers. And once they seen that, and I actually taught the course backwards. I taught, here's how you're an investor, and you can make this much money. Oh, but to do that, you actually have to do some of this stuff that's not quite as sexy. Um, and it worked. It was awesome. We had, uh, as kids graduate, they fill out these, um, like, sort of uh, slips as they leave. And they, some of the, many of them said that was their favorite course in the entire curriculum, that they learned by far the most stuff that they'd apply to the real world. One girl started up uh, do filling out their tax forms on TurboTax as, like, a black market uh, side job. Because, I mean, it's a student's tax return, so it's pretty straightforward. Sure. And, uh, and these kids were going home and explaining RSPs and TFSAs and investor fees to their parents. So, so that kind of leads me to... Hey, Rob, can I just yeah. jump in? Because we've got some action on the Twitter. A uh, buddy of mine, Jordan McFarlane, who's a teacher in Regina, uh, says that uh, uh, we're having an interesting discussion about teaching financial literacy. And he says some Saskatchewan schools offer personal finance 30L course with increasing numbers. He says Saskatchewan business teachers have been making push for years, now approved as locally developed, yeah. uh, and it's spreading across the province. So, awesome. uh, yeah, and, and Jordan's awesome, by the way. Shout out to Jordan. He does great things with uh, his entrepreneurship class. It's Is he dead. married to a teacher? Jordan, just, married to, a just teacher? to confirm, Let's find out. I don't know. But yeah, yeah sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm, jump I'm, in. I'm, no, I, I had heard about that in Saskatchewan, and, and I love the Saskatchewan business teachers compared to uh, us Manitobans. They're way more organized, and they're actually giving a talk. They have this sweet competition in Saskatoon. I think it's May 8th and 9th, and uh, it's a really great deal. Um, and, yeah, they actually had me, they're having me come out and give a talk. I'm a big fan of what they're doing, and I'm, I'm hoping they succeed in sort of getting some, some mainstream support behind what they're doing. Awesome. So what... What kind of courses or what kind of material, I guess, would be in? We talk about this blanket, financial literacy. Well, what does yeah. it mean? And you, you've kind of mentioned in, in a blog post about, you know, a math teacher trying to teach, you know, compound interest and, and amortization tables. Is that what we're talking about here when we talk about financial literacy? Well, Rob kind of touches on a, on a sore spot for me, and I, I often get into debates about this with math teachers because they say, well, what are you talking about financial literacy? We already have this in our, our non-university math, which is already a problem because the top third of your students aren't taking that math, but I digress from that. Uh, they say, we're already doing this. I already teach. I give you the formula for your car loan, how much interest you'll be paying at the end, the end. Uh, 
and and it's it's just honestly ridiculous um, that that they completely ignore the behavioral side of, of personal finance. Now, if you want to get into, I know everyone wants to debate the finer points of what a financial literacy course would look like, and I've sort of stayed away from that up until now, just because I want to keep the groundswell of support for a general course going. And if you start getting into like, what will the table of contents look like? You're going to start pissing people off. But uh, by and large, this is my generalization. Kids can learn far more than you think they can learn. We don't need to stop at budgeting. We can do budgeting in a day. Kids get it. They understand how to use an Excel spreadsheet, or they should. Uh, they understand how to use an online calculator to figure out mortgage and a car payment. They don't need to know the math behind that, as, as much as that will piss off a math teacher to say. Well, and I'm um, just going to jump in because I totally agree with you. As a mortgage professional, my job is to understand and help people understand their amortization schedules. Do you know what I do? I punch in loan amount, down payment, <laughs> interest rate into three columns. I press send, and I get a boom, a big sheet that shows up, and I say, here, this is your principal, this is your interest, this is your total payment, add the taxes, you got your payment PIT, and you know what they do? Okay. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> We're done. We don't need to know how amortization works. Well, you do, but you need to know how it impacts you, and that's and, what people don't understand. And we need to know, okay, so that's going to be our mortgage payment for the next 25 years. We need to know... What can we really afford that? The bank says we can, but can oh. we actually afford that? So You're that's definitely. what we actually need to know. Not not the math behind it. That's that's like step point zero one. Not even step one. Step point zero one. And do you know what people come into my office and say? First question I get, how much can I get qualified for? Second question I get, are you sure? Can I get qualified for more? Seriously, those are the number one and two questions. And the most <laughs> of the time, what we get is a lot of people coming in, double incomes. You just simply right. ask the question, so do you plan on having a family? Oh, yeah, we're going to have kids in two to three years. Yeah, there goes do you one want income. me to maybe drop your second income to a place where we're qualifying on one, one and a bit to allow for some? Oh, no, no, let's just go with it. How much can we get qualified for? And yeah, it we'll just, figure it out. We'll, we'll figure out as we go. And I'm guilty, guilty. I mean, my wife stays home with the kids, and it's just kind of, I'll always be making the same amount of money. You have a slow year because I'm in sales, and it's like, hmm. uh, but you don't think about that, right? And that's the kind of thing that I, I like where you're, I really like your point about if you're starting to nitpick and you, you move past the groundswell, you're, you're going to start alienating people, and it's not going to work. But, I mean, financial literacy isn't learning how to calculate an amortization schedule. It's learning how that impacts your daily spending. Right. It's, it's it. how to apply grade 9 math, not grade 9 math. The grade 9 math is not the focus. The how to apply it and the behaviors involved, that's the important stuff. Yeah, and we want to find out about, you know, your, your big life decisions and how they impact your budget and, you know, what what looking down the road, impact, you know, are you going to have kids? Are you going to go to school? Are you going to go away to school? You know, are you going to want a new vehicle? Those types of things. How quickly are you going to pay off your student loans? You know, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your cash flow and your budget? You know, we or, had a, back in, I think there was, back when I was about 25 years old, I was uh, asked to be part of this, I don't know if they have it everywhere, I think it's national, is that junior achievement program. Yeah, so oh, I that's think great. we went into like grade 7 or grade 8, and, and we actually did talk. It was a really good program, actually, but the problem was it lasted about, I don't know, a day or a week or something like that. But we talked about, you know, buying a car and 
and uh, doing you know but you doing the old uh, Cosby Show budget, you know, where you take away his money, take away Theo's money uh, <laughs> for gas and for his car payment and whatever, and he's got nothing left over, right? We did th those kind of exercises, and it was great, and the kids loved it. Um, but it's too short. I, that's what I think. That's what you touched on with the sprinkling it in here and there. You know, it, it's it's too short to be impactful. And I'm, I'm I got to throw this in. The Junior Achievement Program at Campbell Collegiate when I was in grade 12 was one of the most impacting things in my time in high school. I had a guy come in from the Hong Kong Bank of Canada, if you remember them. They, uh, they came in and all we did was set up a business. And funny thing is, I got VP of Sales and Marketing with a company, <laughs> and that's actually what I do here now. So I got, and we made ties. Ties because in sports days you had to wear a tie. So we made Campbell Collegiate ties. But the teaching around that inspired me to become an entrepreneur. I've always been entrepreneurial, but it was. And I really, like looking back now, I'm going completely other side. Had they have had a financial literacy course and I would have been interested in it, man, it would have changed my life. Yeah, uh, and you bring up a good point with the entrepreneurial side too, because I think that's one aspect that's left out of, uh, you know, basic financial literacy or financial topics. Is uh, on entrepreneurship can be a lot of fun, getting kids to think up businesses, watch, get you know, get the whole dragon's den thing involved, and you know, that's a way if you can make it fun and make it interesting, that's going to get people excited about it. Yeah, I, I bring. I actually have dragon's den in my class. It's uh, it's a Friday afternoon staple. And uh, I got a poster. They all signed it, and the dragons did, and sent it to our class. And we have a big dragons, and we get local entrepreneurs to come in and be the dragons, and they get a fictional amount of money. The kids love it. They yeah, they understand awesome. what a business plan. I mean, you know, a grade twelve business plan. What a, what a business plan looks like. They have to analyze cash flows. Just just basic stuff like that. And basically, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to get into what the table of contents of a curriculum is going to look like, but we need to. At least make somewhat of an effort to touch on the more fun parts, the sexier parts of this stuff. You can become rich. Anyone in Canada can become rich. That's a great thing to put in a textbook. Sure. Like if you invest or you start a company making or providing a service that people need, you can become rich. And that's something that like kids will all of a sudden say, well, oh, maybe I can learn about this RSP thing, or maybe I can learn about how uh, you know. I can sit through what payroll looks like if I know that I can be on Dragons then or whatever, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my thing. So we got a question from the Twitter. Kyle, what are some of your favorite online financial tools or resources? I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of, after I just got done saying I don't like their approach to literacy, financial literacy in Ontario, I really like the Investor Education Fund. Uh, I really, really like what they're putting out. I like the people behind it. I read their stuff in the national magazines. Uh, they're, they're doing great work. Um, so, so that one's good. Um, and, and after from there, there's the, the BC Securities Commission has put out a resource called the City for their Planning 10 course. They're the only province that I'm aware of that has a mandatory course that is mostly personal finance. Uh, it's, 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 I say mostly. It's a solid part of it is personal finance. So that's a good one. Um, and then obviously once once you get a little older and you get past some of the basics, like you can go to Rob's site or our sites, um, and we refer to each other all the time. Like you know whether you're reading Rob Carrick or it just depends from there how deep you want to get into this stuff, right? There's there's a ton of free tools. You just have to have the time and the reading ability to sort of sort through it all a little bit. 
Yeah, and I think the um, Investors Education Fund and the FCAC, they're good resources to go to to just get a good grasp of what, uh, yeah. you know, what's going on. And But the, I think the challenge with it is that these tools are all great, but the only, the only cert, kind of search them out when, when you're up, you know, when you're, right. look, you know, when you're going to get a mortgage, then you're going to search out those amortization calculators and, uh, you know, how much a house can I afford and that type of thing, right? So the, the know, other thing I like to go a little bit old school, I actually as a bonus project gave my students, they could choose to do a novel study on uh, the wealthy barber. I forget, I had a couple others, but I think the millionaire teacher I threw in there and they, most of them picked the wealthy barber and they and just the whole class read a book. They all wanted the extra marks because they actually enjoyed the class. And uh, and yeah, they they read the wealthy barber. I mean, that's that is in in like a great narrative, a great way of presenting personal finance. Um, you know, David Chilton is so accessible. Like you can tweet him, he'll tweet you back right away. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't always the internet isn't the answer for everything, but I mean, obviously, it's where a lot of the kids are. So. And uh, another name to throw out there is uh, Ellen Roseman. And so she deals with a lot of consumer issues. She writes for the star and I think she teaches a class at, uh, at a local college, uh, personal finance class. And, you know, she, she's got a book called uh, fighting back. I think it's called. Yeah. And 81 ways, right? Yeah. It's, it's really good. And she's talking about those real situations where, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm so uh, kind of leery of the financial industry getting into the curriculum and, and teaching and promoting this stuff is because I want to know about the tricks that they have to sell you. You know what? I, I, when I drive home, I see, I see a billboard for, you know, you can get into this condo now and they're, and they're advertising the payments bi-weekly. Why are they advertising the payments bi-weekly? You know, it's only 30 make, cents a minute. 30 yeah, cents a minute, own your own home. So what are some of these tricks? And, and I think it's only through kind of third-party um, resources that you're going to get that, uh, that objective view that you, that you need to kind of navigate your way through all this sales and kind of slick marketing talk. You know, so... Yeah, I'd agree. One other book to throw out there, uh, More Money for Beer and Textbooks. I hear the author's a pretty good guy. I hear he's really good-looking, but hey, I... Yeah. He's got the perfect face for podcasting, I hear. There we um, go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they have a More Money for Beer and Textbooks podcast. Of course, that's me and my partner, Justin. And uh, you'll find Ellen Roseman. You'll find Rob Carrick. You'll find, uh, because money's very own, uh, Rob Engen. And uh, a, a brilliant cast of other characters. Um, and that's a great place to start, too. Like, we're going to start you with tips you can use tomorrow if you're a young person doing this or if you have kids or even grandchildren. I don't know what the demographics are necessarily for uh, for the hangout here, but if, yeah, you I mean, if you're, if you're that, a parent of a kid that's going to school or you're that kid going off to university, check it out because that's, that's when, you know, that's when you make a lot of mistakes when you just don't understand some of this stuff like Jackson's buying his car on his credit card and, yeah. and I was probably taking cash advances out at the bar on my credit card. You know, that, that's, <laughs> that's the kind a good of stuff that, yeah, well, I thought it was good networking at the time. So, but that's, you're going to get, you can get into a lot of trouble and that's, that's the time you should be paying attention to this stuff. So, uh, Definitely check that out. Uh, you know what, guys? I think we've gone over in time, but i got three things left. Uh, somebody wants to know when Financial Literacy Part 2 is coming. So, Kyle, you might get a phone call, and we might uh, do a Part 2 if you're interested. Uh, Jordan McFarlane, uh, 
at, on Twitter at McFarljoe. Everybody watching should follow Jordan. Uh, he says, uh, it's great to hear you speak on the podcast, and we will be seeing you at the SBTA conference. That's what it's sure called, that, yeah. That'll nice. mean something to you, so make sure you check out uh, and meet Jordan. He's a solid cat. So, uh, And then uh, Noel and the potato and everyone who uh, jumped in, thanks for your contributions. And Yeah, any final words? No, I look forward to doing a second one. Uh, regardless of sort of where you feel the financial literacy talk should go, uh, please pressure your public representatives, your school boards, all the way up the food chain. The only way this will change is if there's more pressure to do it than not. Because politicians, teachers, principals, superintendents will 98% of the time, I'm just pulling that number out of nowhere, uh, take the path of least resistance. And uh, you have to make it more difficult to not, like, to, to basically not listen to you than to listen to you. So yeah. please just say this to your representatives. Uh, don't just tell the teachers. The teachers can't make the decisions. Uh, when those annoying dudes in suit and ties come to your door telling you to vote for them, tell them to get this into the curriculum in a mandatory course. I don't have anything else to add. That's, that's great. And I think, you know, just... Resources like this one, your podcast, all the financial blogs that have come out there now, I think it's, it's becoming so much more accessible, um, but it's just the start, right? So this is, hopefully this is the tipping point and we can get, uh, we can get a lot more of this pushed down into the, uh, into the schools. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Kyle. Appreciate it. Rob, we're out of here. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.